This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, we've got a fascinating program today. Um, We will talk in just a few moments with Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf is a left-leaning feminist. uh, Every position, I think, is probably opposite mine, except... She has been extraordinarily critical of how the world has operated under COVID, and she's pieced together her experience over, I'd say, the last 25 years and has come to the conclusion that that there are globalists that are that are trying to influence how we live in America and their and their interests are not aligned with ours. And I hate to say it, it sounds like um, she and I've come to the same page on this. I mean, we disagree. In fact, I'm going to ask her about a quote that I have of hers on abortion. Um, we'll see. I don't want to sort of sandbag the interview, but I can't resist uh, getting to it. We'll talk to her in a few moments. And she's her new book is called uh, The Body of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19 and the War Against the Humans. Um, and uh, she's the founder of Daily Cloud. Um, dot io. We'll also talk with uh, Rita Diller, uh, who's a top uh, pro-life strategist, uh, taking stepping in to play a key role at uh, the American Life League. But first, we need to get to this nastiness, terrible, terrible nastiness um, that is happening in this country, being led by our media. Um, MSNBC, one of the reporters there, her name is, um, what is it? Al Cinder, um, is her last name. I forget her first name now, but she's one of the hosts of um, MSNBC, uh, and on NBC all the time. And she, um, has said, actually, she, I guess she's a reporter. I take it back. Yeah. Mish Al Cinder. She's not on MSNBC only. She's on, uh, uh, M she's uh, on uh, NBC also. She said, um, and I quote, that she's worried that the Democrats will have a different, difficult time making people care about the January 6th hearings. And they need to care because they need to change from caring about things that matter to them now, which is, uh, in this case, she talked about, uh, gas prices, inflation and baby formula. And they need to care about January 6th. In other words, it's the job. It's a reporter that they, the, the Democrats need to make people care more about the January 6th hearings than about gas prices, baby formula. This is my point. This is the narrative machine at work. The narrative machine is big government, that's Congress, the White House, big media, NBC, MSNBC, Yamish Alcindor, along with big tech. And they're going to tell you they need to make people care more about January 6th hearings than about gas prices and baby formula. As someone said, I think on social media, truly is evil. It's truly evil stuff what's happening. Evil, evil things to be talking like that and to be thinking about the power of government being used and aided by big media to try to change people's preferences in terms of what they know and feel and worry about from things that really matter, in my opinion. I don't think anybody disagrees. Gas prices, baby formula, um, inflation to the January 6th hearings, show trials, literally a show trial. It's, it's staged by an ABC reporter, uh, producer, award-winning ABC producer who is helping stage the show trials, the select committee on January 6th show trials, which begins Thursday night, and are designed not to tell the truth, not to get to the bottom of things, not to shape and form how we live and work, but to make people care more about January 6th hearings, the hearings, than other things like gas prices and baby formula. And so that they get their mind off those things that matter and they will vote for Democrats. That's what Yamish Alcindor says. Horrendous stuff. Horrendous stuff. 
And my prediction, as I've said for a couple of days, as I've watched this, it's not working. It's not going to work because the American people are seeing through it. It's like the Mueller report. By the time it was over, people knew, oh, yeah, that didn't mean anything. But you know what? Half the country was brainwashed back then and will be again. Terrible stuff. Terrible people. Terrible. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back with a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, Hans von Spakovsky, who is the, uh, he is the uh, manager of the Election Law Reform Initiative over at the Heritage Foundation, a senior legal fellow in the Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. He, Hans has been uh, writing on uh, the Constitution and constitutional law, but especially election law. And he has uh, served in his career uh, at the FEC and also is... Um, uh, prolific now, I think you can say, Hans, writer. Uh, his newest book was out last fall, Encounter Books. It was called Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. So welcome back, Hans. How are you? And I'm doing just great. Thanks for having me back. Well, you're welcome. And before we get to the, uh, to the, I want to talk about your book again and the election stuff, because as the January 6th uh, Select Committee goes through its uh, propaganda, one of the things that they're missing is that the whole thing, the whole reason people were concerned was they felt, whether it's true or not, and of course, the, 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 we have to say over and over again that there, was, there has been no court that's decided this, but the rest of the people, millions of people thought something was wrong with the election. And that's what's at the heart of the whole January 6th thing, not with anybody who did something that was uh, violent or otherwise. But I noticed a column that you wrote published a, a few days ago uh, about <laughs> dirty tricks are only more sophisticated 50 years after Watergate. And you're, you're, you're drawing that out what is the facts of the Clinton uh, campaign and tricks that became public in this recent uh, uh, trial. Tell me about uh, the comparison to the old days and the, the good old new days. Sure. Well, June 17th is the 50th anniversary of when the, frankly, inept burglars were caught (laughs) at the Watergate uh, Hotel. And remember what they were there for. Um, They were there to tap the phones of the DNC and to try to steal documents that they thought might help them sabotage the campaign of George McGovern. Um, This was all uh, orchestrated by G. Gordon Liddy, who was the general counsel of the Nixon re-election campaign. Um, we all know the results. They got caught. They, they never wiretapped anybody. They never got any documents. They all went to jail. Hmm. Folks in the White House went to jail who tried to cover it up. Um, so compare that to what happened in the 2016 campaign. There we had the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, apparently with her full knowledge, uh, They used their campaign lawyers and opposition research firm and their allies in the press to do what? To come up with a smear campaign against Donald Trump. They concocted this nutty hoax Mm -hmm. that he had colluded with a Russian government. um, And they not only uh, were able to successfully uh, do that, but by the creation of this phony dossier with all these nutty claims in it. But, but look, we've now learned, as you know, from the Durham investigation, that uh, they scooped up through the help of this Internet tycoon, they scooped up the Internet communication yeah. of Donald Trump um, when he was a candidate. And even after he was in the White House, they 
they got a um, FBI investigation going that spied on him, a two-year investigation by a special counsel, Bob Mueller, that hampered his entire presidency. They did all of that, got away with it, and so far, you know, nobody has gone to jail for it. So they were basically successful in doing it. Um, the folks working for Nixon were not. Yeah, it's uh, we're talking again with Hans von Spakovsky. But and and Hans, one of the things about this that I think is worth sort of uh, um, acknowledging, and that by that what I mean by um, that is there's always been dirty tricks. That's kind of your point. Yeah. There's always been, there's yeah. always been, uh, you know, October surprises when there's a November election, there's always been, you know, people that have since, you know, since Adam and Eve made a mess of it, we've had sort of people do things in campaigns, especially when there's so much power at stake, right? If you were the president in 1810, you didn't have nearly as much power as you do in 2010 or 2022. And so you, the, 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 the reason to um, do dirty, tricks has gone up because the power has gone up too. Now that's where my segue. We're again, we're talking with Hans von Spakovsky, his book, our broken elections, how the left changed the way you vote. I, I mean, the left after 2000 wrote book after book on how the history of election fraud existed in time, every election, and that we were supposed to do something about it. Help America vote act, as you know, from your expertise, it threw a ton of money at things, but it didn't necessarily change the system. And suddenly in 2016, everybody says the Russians somehow stole the election. It wasn't a real election. Hillary got all the Democrats, you know, 80% of them to agree with that. And now in 2020, it's suddenly amazingly, everything's perfect. My point is, there's always been fraud. There's always been uh, a mis, um, you know, misappropriation. There's always been misconduct. The question has been how broad, how broad is it? How deep is it? And what do you do about it? No, that's true. And, and the one other thing that's changed is, look, in, in prior cases of these kind of dirty tricks, um, you didn't have government agencies. Government agencies like the Department of Justice were, in this case, but particularly the FBI, they weren't weaponized to be used for political targeting. But that's exactly what happened in in the 2016 election, because, look, you had the FBI convinced through this fraud, through this hoax, that they could use the FISA law. That's the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. I mean, that's the law that's supposed to be used to go after terrorists and foreign spies. And yet, what did they do? They used it to electronically eavesdrop, to spy on people working for the Trump campaign. All of that was engineered by the Clinton campaign, like I said, based on this phony hoax. And look, that kind of thing really had never happened before. Again, go, go back to Nixon. He wasn't using the <laughs> FBI yeah, yeah. to spy on the Democrats. Right, 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 right. Exactly. I mean, that's the, the level. That's my point. If you if you went back in time and you said, hey, look at that. Back in um, when Madison uh, uh, ran for uh, Congress against Monroe, uh, somebody was given somebody whiskey to go to the polls. Right. OK, that's right. at the top. We go all the way forward and we say um, whoever controls the levers of power are not controlling hundreds of millions. They're controlling hundreds of billions, uh, trillions of dollars, right? And and it's just a different category. It's like saying uh, if, if Willie Sutton were around, he, you know, you, he would say, well, you don't go to the banks, you go to the Federal Reserve. I mean, that's where the real money is. <laughs> you know, so that, right. that's, a, that's a different category. So Hans, 
but you're you you've been at this for 20 years saying hey be careful on your elections look at what's happening look who's counting one of your older books i think was about who's counting you know talking about the bureaucrats that are counting things and right. yet i think we can say both parties nobody's really decided to to change the dynamic to change the system to make it transparent and auditable right i mean even when the, we get when the conservatives get in power they say well we'll we'll do a little better maybe we'll get some photo id in places but there hasn't been a real significant movement how come well for a long time uh particularly state legislators just weren't interested in this topic they just didn't think there was a problem heck i you know their attitude was well i got elected so obviously there's not a problem. Um, second, they were scared off by the fact that the left has put together this terrific propaganda campaign so that anytime anybody proposes any kind of reform, something as common sense as requiring an ID to vote, they immediately try to smear them as being a racist. And a lot of state legislators were afraid of that. Now, things actually, they've gotten better because, you know, since the 2020 election, what has happened is state legislators in a number of states actually finally, you know, bit the bullet and passed some pretty good election reforms. You can, you know how you can tell it's good is because the left got so upset about it. I <laughs> yeah. mean, remember, Joe Biden went down to Atlanta and gave this fiery speech complaining, saying that anyone who uh, agreed with these kind of reforms, like requiring an ID to vote, was the same as. Jefferson Davis, the former head of the Confederacy. So you can tell that actually state legislators have, in a number of states, stepped up and tried to improve things. Now, that's certainly not the case in places like California and New York, which have uh, between them probably the worst, most insecure uh, election systems in the country. Uh, again, we're talking with Hans von Spakovsky, what I would call who I would call one of the leading uh, experts on how the elections work and what's happened. And also, I think, uh, to his credit, one of the more thoughtful and, and uh, credible voices for people, even when they don't agree with him. Um, Hans, in, in France, a month or two ago, they had a full they had a, a full election. Right. They had a and I concede, you know, France's uh, population is not nearly hours. Right. I mean, it's a, not even close. I think it's 70 million people. So but they did it in one day. They did it with very little uh, mail-in ballot. I don't think they did any of that stuff. Um, Again, is there any appetite, um, do you think, that's growing to say, hey, let's dramatically change our system because we see dramatic distrust, and therefore we're going to do one day of an election, we're going to do photo ID, we'll do some things that just change the way we think about it. Um, is it. Is that growing? Is there any chance that we're going to see that from both parties? I don't think we're going to see it from both parties. Uh, I do think there are folks on one side, Republicans, who are finally realizing that, uh, for example, allowing no-fault absentee balloting, in other words, anybody, anytime, wants to vote by mail, allowing them to do that is not a good idea because of all of the security problems it starts up. Uh, and, and I think also people are starting to be concerned a little bit about early voting. Mm-hmm. which, as you know, is a relatively new phenomena. But people are starting to say, you know, if you're voting, voting 45 days before Election Day, uh, you're you're not making your decision based on all of the final information that may be available for Election Day. And maybe that's not such a good idea either. 
Yeah. Hans von Spakovsky, by the way, again, a book, I'll say it again, Our Broken Elections, How the Left Changed the Way You Vote. And uh, you can get it anywhere you buy books uh, online. Hans, uh, one last uh, question on this. Um, does the, uh, do you think that the, can we expect or should we want a, f- a quote unquote federal solution? I mean, I know the left talks about it and we, we get nervous when we say federal solution, you know, we get, we say to ourselves, but that when you read that piece from Molly Ball from, I uh, was a time magazine or Newsweek where the left basically says we fortified the election by using the courts and the law against, uh, you know, the conservatives against Republicans. And, and they did, they say they did everything legally. They never got over the line. I, you know, again, I, I, we haven't proved it in a court of law, blah, blah, blah. But you know, is, is there a, is, do you have you come to the point where you say, well, look, I was at the FEC. I've seen how these things work. There are some things we have to do as a nation because we'll never get California and New York and, and others, because it's not just the elections. Right. It's also the they're cheating on the census. I mean, they, and so therefore the the representation of our country is skewed. I, is are you for federal solutions to some of this stuff? Well, there are certain. Yeah, there's some things. Right. That it takes a federal solution. But. You know, elections have been run by the states for a long time. They would oppose uh, anything that would Mm -hmm. tell them what to do in areas that they uh, administer. And as you well know, for everything potentially good that a federal solution could do, it could do something bad. Um, Anybody who doubts that, just take a look at the big federal bill that the left tried to push through H.R. 1, and you'll see just how bad things could have been nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's true. Okay. We got to run Hans von Spakovsky. I will put up on social media, his book, a link to his book, as well as his work over at the heritage foundation. Thanks Hans. As always appreciate you. Sure thing. Anytime. All right. We'll take a break everybody. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. I'm really pleased and uh, excited to uh, uh, to introduce our next guest. Uh, doesn't need much introduction. Naomi Wolf uh, has been, I guess you'd say, a commentator, a participant in politics and policy for a long time. She's the co-founder and CEO of DailyClout.io, which is a, a tech company. You can go there and see it. And the reason I got clued into her right now is she has a new book, book out called "The Bodies." Excuse me, the bodies of others, the new authoritarians, COVID-19, and the war against the humans. So welcome, Naomi Wolf. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. When I read about this book and I knew it was coming out, you know, you over the last couple of years, you've achieved a certain uh, fame, maybe notoriety. You always had some, you've had some fame for a while, but notoriety, whatever it would be about having stood up and said, hey, wait a second, we're being... Um, misled and and you were not getting all the truth and you've been knocked off of social media periodically. But I want to ask you in the broader uh, context, when I look at your career, you've often challenged your, to say it different, to say it, it's not exactly right, but your own side's thinking when it didn't make sense or you've often I mean before they called everybody who didn't agree with the conventional wisdom conspiracy theorists mm. you were willing to say hey this doesn't quite look right and what I want to ask you is at this moment in our history America and I know this is part of your book but have we I mean we're so stuck with really dishonest news and really mm. distorting media and the government is using them both and a lot of the country is really pretty simply brainwashed. I mean, aren't we to a breaking point? Isn't that the point? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, uh, I think that I think both sides are being propagandized, honestly. Right. Um, and I think it's bigger than left versus right. Uh, for sure, you know, I come from the left. I've been an advisor to a Democratic presidential campaign and to a Democratic vice president. Um, you know, I, I think of myself as a classical liberal, but it is definitely true that since I began doing standard investigative reporting and standing up for the Constitution in the last two years, you know, raising questions about these lockdowns and this kind of uh, coercive um, health policy and these forced vaccine mandates and so on, um, the 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 my former fr- you know, friends and colleagues and news outlets have sort of ejected me and. That's depressing, and it certainly, you know, indicates that there is a lot of uh, propaganda and brainwashing going on in the legacy media, in the New York Times and CNN and CN- MSNBC and so on, and in the bodies of others. I track how money is flowing to those news outlets to, um, to, to for COVID education and also from the CARES Act. So they're basically being bribed to mm. smear and deplatform critics of this monolithic um, messaging about um, pandemic policy and vaccines. Um, but having said that, I do, you know, when I say it's bigger than left versus right, it's not, I don't respectfully believe that just switching parties in power is going right. to solve what the, you know, my concern is. And, and the bodies of others says that there's a global attack on all of humanity by a few bad actors um, and that transcend left and right. And these bad actors include the World Economic Forum. They include the World Health Organization. We just saw them try to grab sovereignty from nation states, um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the Chinese Communist Party, as well as a, a handful of massive big tech companies. And that they've been using the pandemic to, as a pretext to strip us of our liberties, especially to make war on the West and especially to make war on America and American families and children, particularly, and to kind of recreate the world so that we don't have our freedoms and so that we, you know, they're in charge, essentially. Um, So I guess what I would say to you is that it looks like the left in this country, but it's the same script uh, with Boris Johnson in, in a conservative in Britain. Scott Morrison was a conservative in Australia. Um, he was using the same script. You know, it happens to be a liberal, Justin Trudeau, who's a tyrant in Canada. Macron is a tyrant in France. So these are, these are transnational bad actors. You, you, know, bad you, actors. you know who you sound like? We're talking with Naomi, Naomi, excuse me, Naomi Wolf and her book again is The Bodies of Others. And I should make sure to highlight for people, All Seasons Press is just out a few weeks and you can find it anywhere books are sold. You sound a little bit like the late Phyllis Schlafly for whom I worked. You know, early when she wrote A Choice, Not an Echo in 1964, <laughs> one of the big focuses was that both parties were delivering and, re- and she was writing about the Republican Party, the same <laughs> kinds of uh, uh, echoes. We got this echo over and over again. And so so, uh, uh, did you first of all? Did you ever debate her, uh, Phyllis Schlafly? And did you did you know? Did you meet her? I don't know the I, answer. You know, I ne- I don't believe that I ever did. Um, I believe that she. Sadly, we, we we talked about each other, but we never actually. <laughs> I don't think we ever actually connected directly. But I'm sorry about that because um, I've always believed that the, you know, the position that there's only one kind of feminist, and you have to be 
a progressive in order to be a feminist is wrong. Mm-hmm. I think she was a feminist. <laughs> and I know, th- seriously. Yeah, uh-huh. And I think she, she, you know, I think the whole movement would have been better, would have developed better policies and better conversations by conservative feminists and progressive feminists being in dialogue with each other. And mm-hmm. I probably agreed with a lot of what she had to mm-hmm. say. Well, I certainly, 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 yeah, certainly on the, on the, I mean, you know, the, the, the erosion of sovereignty and what it could mean was something that really interesting moments of, of crossover in the Clinton era, they were trying to harmonize the American patent system with Europe. And she said, wait a second, why, you know, why is that? It's an example of all these different moments in her, in her long career where she was looking, seeing sort of intrusions on uh, and, and ending up with a, sort of globalist regime. Again, Naomi Wolf's our guest. By the way, one thing I would say about you and her, because I was looking at your um, your career, she was a writer first and foremost. She did lots of other things. Mm-hmm. In fact, she was famous for saying she had it all, just not all at once, meaning a husband, <laughs> wife, and kids and all that. Right. But she was a writer. And to the end of her life, she was still writing her columns. And I know you're, you are someone who has your whole career been a writer and prolific at it. And again, we're mm-hmm. talking about this new book, The Bodies of Others, so uh, by Naomi, Naomi Wolf. But um, now, do you think these these entities that are causing that, that are that are evil actors on the world stage? Um, I know they succeeded in gaining power and influence through COVID, but are we? Is there a path to roll it back, or is it all they take? We talk about it. They wait for the next crisis because the next crisis is coming as either a global recession or a global depression. And again, you'll see this sort of onslaught, the march forward, in my opinion. That's my worry. Or do you see a way that this rolls back? Well, it's really up to us. Um, I mean, we're at, you know, I wrote a book called The End of America in 2008 in the Bush era Mm -hmm. uh, when I pointed out that all tyrants, whether they're on the left or the right, um, take the same 10 steps. It's like a script. And the last step is the one from which there really is no going back without, and I'm a peaceful person, so I hope no one misconstrues this, but step 10, you only get your democracy back after a civil war, basically, right. or an armed you know, uh, rebellion. Uh, I mean, and that's martial law, that's emergency law. So that's where we're at. You know, most people don't, and I'm not calling, I don't want to get arrested. I'm not calling for civil war. I'm not calling for armed insurrection. Um, I'm just saying historically, uh, we've lost our our republic. People are not aware of this. It's the sneakiest coup that ever was. But President Biden, for whom I'm embarrassed to say I voted, um, uh, extended emergency powers in April. For, for the eighth time, but this time in an open-ended way, no terminus state. And uh, here in New York State, Governor Hochul extends emergency powers every 30 days. And she just um, issued an executive decree uh, creating a, an alliance with, the, I literally just this minute this was sent to me, an alliance with the Department of Homeland Security, so federal, right? So losing states' rights there, um, to uh, keep track of what people are saying on social media and to investigate domestic terrorists. And it's a whole package of, you know, no one gets to buy body armor, all bullets are, you know, identified, um, a, a whole kind of um, disarming of mm-hmm. the population and identifying them as insurrectionists if they disagree with any, you know, the, anything, you know, mm-hmm. the, the 
she she says is wrong think um in and she's trying to create also a quarantine uh camps as as they have in tried to do in Washington state as well like those in Australia where um and this was a board of health regulation i'm not making this up she really existed and we narrowly defeated a similar one in Washington state where the board of health can detain you uh, you know indefinitely if you've been exposed to a bloodborne pathogen and you can't get out you know, without a, a court order. So, you know, t- more than 28 states are still under emergency powers. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, is there hope? It really depends on us. We've got to wake up. The, you know, a war is being waged against us. And the, the book explains exactly who and how we have to face the fact that we're at war, you know, that it's, it's being waged against us. And we have to peacefully mobilize accordingly and engage in a million acts of peaceful resistance and noncompliance in addition to other kinds of organizing, like passing legislation at the state level, as you know, we've got model bills on Daily Clout to help you pass legislation to end emergency law, no vaccine mandates, uh, no mask mandates, um, free, freedom of assembly, and so on. But, but we have to organize and we have to not comply. Uh, again, um, Naomi just mentioned dailyclout.io. You can go there. It's uh, on that website. Lots of information. And the book, again, is The Bodies of Others um, by Naomi Wolf. Um, you're a communicator. I mean, you're a writer. You're a communicator. You've been a sort of public, I don't know if the word is the right word, intellectual, but you've been a public persuader of people. You've said, let me make arguments. Let me cont- let me talk to people about what I see based on my education and insight. At this moment, it feels to me like Meta, which is Facebook, is the most powerful thing that's ever existed. Maybe I think it's folded up with uh, the intelligence community myself, but, yeah. but in terms of using not just technology, but neuroscience to, to change the brains of lots of people and, and, and make them ill-informed is a nice way to say brainwashed. I, I, again, how do we how do we address that problem? Uh, that's I, I, you know sort of beyond almost any most people's understanding. Um, you, I'm not really sure what you mean. How do we explain this to everybody? No, no. How do we break that? How do we if if you if you're a good communicator and you have a great book and everyone reads it and they say, oh, the bodies of others, and you get a thousand million people to read it and they go back to their daily life. Their daily life is filled with the the meta Facebook literally brainwashing most of their neighbors and they're saying, and, and, and that's the question. I, I, I look at these, the brainwashing and I wonder how do we help our neighbors get past that when meta every day is getting better at the neuroscience while we're still having conversations like this, which are meaningful and helpful and will convert and, and will bring in enlighten or information and, and hopefully to thousands. But that's what I feel like we're up against. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. So that's why a huge part of the conclusions I draw is we have to snap out of living our lives on digital platforms. Um, That's how they manage to trick us uh, and and get and divide us and and, uh, gaslight us. and so I encourage people to, you know, reclaim the IRL world, which they're trying to like dehabituate ourselves right. from, meaning, you know, go to church, right? Go to synagogue, go to mosque, go to the town hall, have a potluck, have a party. I'm the whole COVID narrative, which I explain in the bodies of others is full of bad data and, and, and hyped 
numbers. Um, I'm not saying it wasn't real uh, to some extent, but it's un- literally unverifiable um, in terms of the details of the science, the PCR tests and the COVID uh, dashboards and so on. Readers will will understand what I mean. Um, but that that was all designed to drive us onto our keyboards, partly so big tech could harvest data and eyeballs and advertising from all the things we were doing on dashboards that we couldn't do any longer in in person, you know, partly to fracture American society, American community. Um, But, you know, the narrative was other people will kill you. Other people's bodies will kill you. Closeness to other human beings will kill you. And, you know, Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly, it's really not true. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's mitigation and we have to assemble again. So that that is really crucial. You know, lectures used to be a very powerful way for hundreds of people to hear a message all at once and communicate with each other. Town halls in person, not on Zoom, used to be a powerful way for neighbors to inform each other and caucus each other and lobby each other and come up with new ideas and new solutions. Um, You know, church and synagogue. I mean, my people survived for thousands of years of persecution because we assembled together in in synagogues you know and we 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 gave each other strength and the same is true of you know church, of every religion right and right. that's why communists and you know uh, I, I think kind of right now demonic big tech companies are trying to dissolve human community so we don't have that strength and creativity and that resilience the world looks completely different the pandemic looks totally different if you're meeting with other human beings and saying how are you you're fine i'm glad you're fine how's your town most everyone's fine you know mm-hmm. i'm so sorry you lost a couple of people early in the pandemic like if we'd been getting our information from other human beings instead of these digital tech platforms that are invested in the vaccines and invested in a world in which vaccine passports track our every move, um, our, our whole world would have looked different, right? Our knowledge base would look different. So we have to reassemble and, um, and, and, and also do things like figure out where our food supply comes from, you yeah. know, figure out what to yeah. do if, you know, if the grid goes out, all of that is, is on its way because I do not believe these people are going to let us have peaceful midterms and a peaceful transfer of power. Uh, We are uh, talking again with uh, Naomi Wolf. The book is The Body of Others. I would be remiss if I, in this context, I just one last question, line of question, is that um, there there will be in the next month or so a decision in the Dobbs case uh, Mm -hmm. on abortion. And you have over your long career, again, written on the subject. Uh, One of the the things that you wrote that I remember reading and I found was war is legal. It's sometimes even necessary. Letting the dying die in peace is often legal and sometimes even necessary. Abortion should be legal. It's sometimes even necessary. And you go on and I'll summarize it so I don't read a full quote up. I will use it later. But to basically say, even if you think abortion is murder or death, you should be allowed to have that. What do you think? Where do you think we are in the context of how do how do how does the abortion <laughs> debate and the moment play out now? I know you feel like there's a bigger battle uh, and you've described it in the book and others. But I mean, it, it's a huge issue for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it is. I was trying to explain to a friend of mine who's a Republican strategist that so many progressives would vote Republican if there was just some way to have a platform that was a little bit inclusive on climate change and on abortion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying that people need to abandon their views or abandon their religion, um, you know, for themselves. But if there's a way to say a version of good people can disagree or, you know, I really think it's wrong, but 
you know, I, I'll try to persuade you instead of, you know, legislating against you. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways for, for good people to talk about these issues respectfully, um, you know, without abandoning their passionately held convictions. And, um, and I, I hope I can persuade, you know, leaders like you to be open to having yeah. that conversation. Yeah, well, I, I think, I think, I think what, for those of us, and Phyllis Schlappo did this, is it's a matter of also growing the number of people that are listening to each other on the arguments, you know, and, and, and one thing that I think Phyllis, at the end of her life, and again, our guest is Naomi Wolf, she talked a lot about how her influence on the platform, a pro-life plank in the Republican platform, because the other party did not have it. And so at least there was the contrast and there was a discussion, right. but uh, I have to leave it there. Unfortunately, uh, we've run out of time. Very interesting. Naomi Wolf, again, her book is the body of others, uh, the new authoritarians, COVID-19 and the war against the humans. Uh, and it is published by all seasons press. Thanks for the time, Naomi. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly report, a daily commentary, continuing the conservative pro family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. Liberals are imposing censorship on college campuses today, constantly inventing new phrases to justify their actions. A safe space is an area on campus where conservatives are not allowed to speak freely, and a trigger warning is an alert that something politically incorrect is about to follow. The Department of Education is partly responsible for the vanishing amount of free speech on campus. Under the George W. Bush administration, a federal standard protected free speech by proclaiming that the mere expression of views, words, symbols, or thoughts that some person might find offensive could not alone constitute harassment. But in 2013, Obama changed that standard to expand the concept of sexual harassment to include words that are merely unwelcome. Liberal colleges then widened this further to prohibit anything that might be offensive in any of the vast categories of gender, race, veteran status, and religion. The test of what constitutes harassment is no longer objective, but is subjective based on how the listener views the words. If a professor or even another student says something that is unwelcome, then it could constitute harassment under the Obama rule. The result has been a paralysis in discussion and debate at many colleges. Far from being a dynamic environment encouraging independent thinking, colleges have become mental straitjackets that suffocate the minds of students. While college costs have skyrocketed, the value of college has declined. Free speech has become an endangered species at most colleges, and conservative commencement speakers are almost unheard of. Liberal Hollywood actors and Democratic politicians are usual speakers on commencement day. A study last year found that liberal speakers outnumbered conservatives by six to one for commencement addresses at the top 100 universities. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you have a college-bound son or daughter? Do you care about the next generation? At phyllisschlafly.com, we expose the liberal agenda and anti-Christian mindset found on most college campuses and help equip conservative students to stand up for their beliefs. Visit us at phyllisschlafly.com and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, just got a couple minutes to wrap things up. Let me say this. Um, we're having some interesting times, aren't we? Um, I get a lot of emails from listeners and others. They send me the uh, information they're seeing. And I received an email. I, actually, um, let me take it back. It was a text. And the text came in from someone in Colorado. And uh, she reported that the Daily Sentinel... A newspaper in Grand Junction, Colorado, carried the following story. The headline is ballot machine cyber advisory doesn't impact Colorado election officials said went on to describe uh, in some detail the national advisory that I mentioned to you from the United States Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, it's called. And basically what this advisory said is that there is a one of the leading vendors in at least 16 states has software vulnerabilities that leave them susceptible for hacking. Now, the uh, key thing here is that uh, the um, Mesa County, the county that's reporting on this in Colorado, said we use a different kind of machine. We don't use the Dominion machine that has been implicated in this report. So we're not the ones that are being at the focus of this report. Now, my retort is... Is there any real system, any system at all, computer system that is completely invulnerable? It seems to me the nature of the systems are such that they are going to be vulnerable, right? And why aren't we having a conversation about how we're securing them? Why isn't that first and foremost? Again, forget going backwards. We can't go back to all the different play times and places where there's been election problems. Can't go back to 2000 and make Al Gore president. Can't go back to 2016 and make uh, Jill uh, Green, what's Green Party? Jill Stein president. Can't go back to 2020 and bring Trump back. Not going to happen. But why haven't we been serious about the problems that we're facing and what to do about them? We haven't been. We're not serious. That's the threat to our republic. All right, more on this to follow. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer, uh, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you for listening. Be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.